0: Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from A Spy in the House of Chastity, written by Salome Verdad, the sequel to An Engagement with Chastity. The British Women's Association for the Eradication of Vice is riven by factional dispute as to the most effective way to repress and control male sexuality. The hapless Archie duntis finds himself caught between the faction of his cock-teasing fiancée, Miss Alyssa Bucklesham, and that of his cruel tormentrix, Miss Evelyn Harp, as each seeks to recruit him to spy on the plans of the other. But the women of Mrs. Hennessy's anarcho-syndicalist brothel, who are dedicated enemies of the association, have other plans for Archie. And now for your listening pleasure. An excerpt from A Spy in the House of Chastity.
1: A recap of the story thus far. A strange codicil to the will of his wealthy great-aunt renders financially embarrassed aristocrat idler, Archie Dunsterborn, subject to the moral discipline of the British Women's Association for the Eradication of Vice, a fanatical organization dedicated to the suppression of all illicit sexual pleasure in the male sex. In return for much-needed stipends from his aunt's legacy, Archie is forced to wear a brass chastity cage under the stern supervision of Miss Evelyn Harper, a cruel beauty who allows him a weekly release but subjects him to merciless punishment for unpermitted or untimely ejaculation. In a permanent state of impotent and frustrated arousal, Archie is forced to attend weekly lectures at the Association's London headquarters, where he discovers that plans are in place to marry him off to Miss Elsa Bucklesham, a young Martinet. But the lecture also brings him into contact with Mr Bruce Allstone, who introduces him to the Sons of the Serpent, a secret society of men who seek to subvert the discipline of the Association, and to Mrs Hennessy an ageing Fenian and ex-prostitute who fronts a bawdy house, staffed by women revolutionaries, and runs as an anarcho-syndicalist cooperative. Archie is delighted to discover that the women know of a means to provide him with sexual relief, even without unlocking the detested brass restrainer, but horrified to find that this relief is obtained by means of his anal ravishment with a clockwork-powered strap-on dildo. A visit to the Bucklesham estate reveals to Archie that his wife-to-be and his future mother-in-law takes great enjoyment in the maintenance of iron discipline over the males of the household, and that Miss Elsa seeks to enlist him in maximising her own sexual pleasure, even as she keeps him in a state of near-permanent denial. Now, continue on. Archie shifts uncomfortably in his seat. The benches in the upper gallery are bare wood, unlike the padded leather seats on the banks below. He is all too aware of his engorged member, locked and crushed as it is in its brass cage. It has been five weeks since he was last allowed to spend. From that date to this, and he has been counting the days, he has endured almost daily assignments with his flirtatious, cock-teasing fiancé, and weekly... Examinations, from Miss Harper. In these latter, he has been briefly released from the cage and brought to full erection, but forbidden to ejaculate under threat of electrocution. He is bored by the lecture, which seems to have been going on for a long time. The tall, silver-haired German man at the lectern, who he now knows to be Professor Reich, Chief Scientist of the British Women's Association for the Eradication of Vice, shows no sign of drawing his talk to a close. Archie looks around the grand hall. The dais is draped with the banner of the association and with several others, proclaiming the benefits and virtues of chastity. Seated immediately around him are men that he knows from the weekly confessional meeting at the association's headquarters, some of whom are also members of the secret anti-association fraternity, the Sons of the Serpent. Two seats along from him is Bruce Allstone, who recruited him to the sons, and who subsequently introduced him to the ambiguous pleasures of Miss Hennessy's anarcho-syndicalist bawdy house. Allstone listens to Professor Reich's presentation with the semblance of rapt attention. Scattered here and there along the benches are influential male patrons of the Association, bishops, senior officers of the Army and Navy, and peers of the realm. Most of them bear the downcast countenance that Archie recognises as the hallmark of a man under discipline, as the women of the association refer to the imposition of their uncomfortable male chastity devices. Reich drones on and on. Archie tries to focus on his words, but the heavy German accent and the impenetrable philosophical jargon means that he is continually losing the thread. From time to time he hears a word that he understands. At one point, he is certain that Reich has begun to speak about the function of the orgasm. But even this flash of interest is buried under a heap of unrecognisable verbiage. At last, Mrs Sandridge, the honorary secretary of the association, who chairs the meeting, indicates to the professor that he must wind up. And he bows graciously, first to her and then to the audience of elegantly dressed ladies. There will be a short break before Herr Professor Reich returns for questions, says Mrs Sandridge. Please bear with us for a few moments. Now the Professor and Mrs Sandridge and the other young women on the platform exit the stage through the drapes at the wings. There is a gentle buzz of conversation from the ladies below. Archie makes use of the brake to stretch his legs and speak to Allstone. Oh, I didn't understand two words of that, he says proudly. Did you? Not so much, admits Allstone. A bit too Germanic for me, but watch out for the questions, Archie. You should find that a lot more interesting. Soon the professor, now oddly red-faced, and the two women return to the stage. Archie seats himself in the front of the balcony and sees that Miss Harper is in the audience. She is surrounded by a group of severe-looking women, many of them dressed in black and grey. One of these is now raising her hand. Thank you for a most thought-provoking lecture, Herr Professor, she begins. Despite her pleasant demeanour, her voice drips with ill-concealed scorn, and she managed to make the words thought-provoking. Sound like an insult. Since I am not a scientist, I would appreciate your help in understanding some of the implications of what you have said. The professor nods politely. Miss Jeans, hisses allstone in his ear. One of the old guard of the association. It seems to me that you are suggesting that our efforts to break the habit of onanism and unregulated ejaculation among the male of our species are doomed to failure because such behaviour is inborn and entirely natural. Have I misunderstood you? There is a growl of disapproval from some women seated on the other side of the hall. They seem younger and more gaily dressed, and Archie is not too surprised to see his fiancée, Miss Ailsa Bucklesham, sitting among them. For shame, calls one of the group. See? It- begins, whispers Allstone. Hang on to your hat, Archie. The professor holds up his hands to quieten the mutterings of the younger women. Thank you for your question, Miss Jeans, and for the opportunity to correct some misapprehensions, he says. He slides a finger into his collar, loosening it slightly. In arguing that the male sex you drive arises from the deepest well-springs of the masculine psyche. I am not in any way condoning the fetid wantonness that some men display in the acting out of that desire. I am simply expressing a truth that is plain to anyone who has eyes to see and a brain to understand. The women seated around Miss Jeans, Miss Harper among them, tart and hiss. Namely, that the male urges cannot simply be suppressed and must therefore be channeled, canalised in the language of psychology towards a higher purpose. The professor raises his voice in emphasis and the women on the right-hand side of the auditorium nod their approval. The work of your association in ensuring that this drive is first controlled and then sublimated into more socially useful forms is the reason I have come to England. Your methods and the principles of male justice and discipline that underline them are exactly what is needed to save men from a life of fruitless dissipation and Help them find the path to their proper purpose in civilization. It is only in the domain of psychological and political theory, as is so often the case for you, English, that you are lacking. Reich smiles at the audience, as if he has said something placatory. The women on the left side do not appear placated. Miss Harper has risen to her feet and without waiting for the chair's permission, launches into a vitriol-laced peroration. I don't think we need any lessons in theory from you, Dr Reich, she begins. Archie recognises her tone and winces inwardly. In his experience, this inflection is usually a prelude to some painful intervention. If you are correct then not only are our efforts to put a stop to men's filthy habits and cure them of their sinful thoughts fruitless, but they are also counterproductive. We should, in truth, be doing the opposite, to encourage and provoke sinful thoughts and sexual desire. The energy that we should be seeking to, to canalise, towards higher aspirations, arises out of those very sinful thoughts. Her lips turn downwards in the sneer that Archie knows too well. The women around her chorus their approval. Now do you see Mrs Sandridge's dilemma? asks Allstone. Over there, around Jeans, are the old guard, churchgoers, Bible bashers, saloon wreckers, speaking the language of sin and habit. And on the other side, the modernizers, who want the association to use science to increase its influence in politics and society, so that it takes its place as one of the pillars of the empire, he snorts with amusement. Trouble is, it's the old guard, women like your great aunt, who pay the bills, so Sandridge has to keep both factions on side, even though they increasingly hate each other's guts. The audience are all on their feet now, many of them shouting across at each other. Professor Reich, who is clearly a little surprised at the vehemence of the assault on his ideas, has fallen silent. Mrs Sandridge calls for decorum. At last, Professor Reich returns to the lectern. It is exactly like a steam engine, he says with precise emphasis. There can be no motive force without energy. Of course, this precious vital energy should not be allowed to dissipate improperly. But in order for there to be energy in the first place, it is necessary to stoke the boiler. At this, there is total uproar on both sides of the hall. Women are back on their feet, shouting at the stage and each other, at Mrs. Sandridge. The young woman alongside Mrs. Sandridge begs again for calm, and during a moment's pause in the general pandemonium, calls for the meeting to close with the singing of the association's hymn to chastity. Hesitantly at first, the women begin to sing. The men in the gallery, with a little more reluctance, rise to their feet and join in the dirge-like song. Archie's relief that the lecture is at last over is mixed with trepidation. Miss Bucklesham has arranged a rendezvous outside the hall, and he is sure that she will not miss an opportunity to tease his restrained organ. It is a warm afternoon, and Archie is taking a walk along Marylebone Road. Steam cars and omnibuses pass in both directions, filling the air with sound and soot. He stops to look at his reflection in a shop window. It was formerly his habit to make such checks frequently, to ensure that he was looking his best, in case he were to meet. But since he has been under the discipline of the association, he has rather neglected his appearance. He is not very pleased by what he sees. His complexion seems wan, his hair lank, his clothes a little dishevelled, and perhaps not in the latest mode. He is about to move on, when he sees something else in the reflection. Across the street, there are two young women, wearing the purple sash of the association, and regarding him carefully. He turns to look at them, and they face away from him, and half-heartedly pretend to be carrying out tracks to passers-by. He can think of no reason why two unknown women from the association should be keeping an eye on him, and pretending not to do so. He has not transgressed any condition of his penal servitude. Nevertheless, the attention of these two makes him feel uneasy. He sets off at the fastest pace that he can maintain. After a few minutes he stops in a doorway and looks back down the street. The women are hurrying after him, though their long skirts impede their progress somewhat. Archie takes a moment to take note of their appearance so that he can be sure that they are the same pair. They are in their early twenties. One is dark, tall, and full-figured. The other is smaller and slight, with fiery red hair and a pale, clear complexion. Even at this distance, he can see that she is small-featured and very pretty. Both women are fashionably dressed, in little feathered hats, tailored jackets, and narrow skirts, with only the slightest hint of a bustle. Under other circumstances, he might have been pleased to make their acquaintance. Now, though, there is something about the urgency with which they pursue him that sends a warning signal. Again he strides away from them, turning off the main thoroughfare, in the hope of losing them in the narrow lanes and courtyards. He turns left and right, around the backs of buildings and through alleyways. At last he emerges through a narrow archway onto Baker Street, the taller of the two women, the dark one, is waiting for him. She puts her hand on his arm. Mr. Dunsterborne, is it? We'd like to have a word with you, she says. She speaks with a strong Irish accent. It's a merry dance you've led us, says another woman's voice, also Irish, from behind him.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from A Spy in the House of Chastity. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.